to the GBC Sermon Podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au. Good evening. I'm reading from Ephesians 1 verses 11 to 14 and I'm reading from the NIV version. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in community with the purposes of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Susan, and good evening. Um, just before I begin, I would also like to acknowledge the Gwigal people of the Darwal Nation as the traditional custodians of the land in which we currently worship and to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And also just to say, for those of you um, who were listening to that presentation, it's about domestic violence, uh, which we would like to think is something that's out there and not in here, but we know that domestic violence can influence and impact us in lots of different ways. So if you need some support in that space, I'd really encourage you to speak to one of the pastoral team, Rox or myself, or to one of our elders. Derek, who prayed, is one of our elders. Uh, you can also um, contact Hopefield, or also you can call the um, domestic violence hotline, which is 1-800-RESPECT. Uh, if that's something that's helpful and useful for you uh, as uh, we continue to deal with that scourge in our community. Uh, it is uh, week three in our uh, in May Mission Month, which means we're also, as it turns out, into week three of our series about the Holy Spirit, a series that we have been engaged in to try to do three different things over the course of this month as kind of a starting point for us to explore and better understand the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in order that we, as believers, might be a little bit more intentional in our relationship with the Holy Spirit in order, ultimately, that we might be able to more easily recognize the voice and movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individuals and as a community of faith. And this is not just important because we're a Christian church that believes in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also because um, the interest in and the importance of being able to recognize the voice of the Spirit was something that came out of our corporate discernment process last year as a community of faith uh, and kind of is derived out of our purpose where we believe that God the Father invites us to be involved in what he's doing in restoring the world in Christ Jesus through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does in, or how the Holy Spirit's work is described in Scripture. And we want to continue that today. And I hope what has become clear over these first couple of weeks, and will become clearer tonight, is that if there's one place where the Holy Spirit is to be found, if you wanted to go looking for a place where the Holy Spirit would certainly be, the Holy Spirit will certainly be where God is doing something. Because the Holy Spirit's involvement in Scripture in particular, and I think it bears out in the life of the church, is to be involved in the things that God is doing. 
uh, whether that be in the act of revelation through a prophetic word or a prophetic oracle uh, or through the interpretation of a vision or a dream or whether it be through the enabling presence in an individual's life to do the work of God. In the Old Testament, that might be to win a victory uh, and save the people from some, some um, uh, foreign nation. Or it might be to come upon someone like Moses or David to lead and guide the people into greater faithfulness as the people of God uh, as, uh, as they seek to live out what that all means. Uh, and that's true, of course, when we come to the New Testament as well, but with a fairly important shift. Uh, as we looked at last week when we did a little biblical theology, Everyone's still excited about that, I'm sure, coming down from the adrenaline rush of doing that last Sunday, Um, looking at how the theme of the Holy Spirit is introduced to us over the course of Scripture and paying attention to the narrative. When we looked at that, one of the things that becomes quite clear is that the Holy Spirit's work was, shall I say, confined to individuals. Now, it might have been for a brief period of time, like a victory, or it might have been a long period of time, such as like we find with Moses, who seems to have been given the Spirit of God to lead the people throughout his time leading the people. But Moses himself, in Numbers 11, kind of looks forward with expectation to the day when the Holy Spirit might be given to all of God's people. Uh, And in the New Testament, that is what happens. If we don't have time to look at Acts chapter 2, if we did, I'd want to draw your attention to Peter's quotation in Acts chapter 2 of Joel chapter 2. He basically quotes a passage out of one of the prophets to explain what has happened with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the whole section that he quotes includes not just kind of a, a reference to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but also a why the Spirit has been poured out. Uh, And uh, essentially, the Spirit has been poured out as a sign that God is doing something new in Jesus. Uh, We think about Pentecost and uh, we might think about just the importance of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the believers and the tongues of flame that settled on their heads and the fact that they were able to speak in the languages of all those who were gathered in Jerusalem. But Peter is actually not very interested in the Holy Spirit after he tells people about Joel. He's interested in Jesus. So his whole sermon is really focused on Jesus. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a sign that God is doing something new in Jesus. But, Peter also points out, Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And who is left to do the work? The church. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers, both as a sign that God is doing something new in Jesus, but also to enable the church to do the work that Jesus was meant to do. So we find that there's a continuity with how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament, which was to be about the work of God in various locations, but now it's been expanded to include all who believe. And so I've chosen to jump around in a few passages in Ephesians, beginning with the one that was just read for us. In chapter 1, because we see again that there is this emphasis on the overall purposes and plans of God that is the background and context for the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone or otherwise, have a look in Ephesians. We're going to be looking at three different passages uh, that, that speak of the role of the Spirit and what that means for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 11, I want you to notice where this begins. Or actually, let me point out where it ends. Because he finishes by talking about the work of salvation in Christ Jesus and the fact that those who have placed their faith in Jesus have been given the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, but those two truths, the, the redemption and salvation in Jesus and the Holy Spirit given as a seal and a deposit is set against this background. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Did you hear all the language of God's plan in that? We have been chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That that is why we have been caught up, not only in place in our faith in Christ, but why the Holy Spirit has been given to us. But what tends to happen for us is that we kind of forget those first few lines and focus on the next. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And one of the challenges for us is that we tend to individualize a text of Scripture. Uh, and we do that for a very simple reason. We live in a really individualistic culture, don't we? Individualism is the air that I breathe. I don't know about you. Right? That, that, that's, that's the truth that we face. And so when we read passages like this, we focus on the individual application. We focus on the application about being a believer in Jesus and the salvation that we have. And that's certainly true. And we might think about the importance of having the Holy Spirit given to us as a sign and a seal of that which is to come. We, that's certainly true. But if we focus too much on the individual application and we forget the bigger context, we can actually end up with a diminished work. As if God's only purpose was to save you, shine you all up, polish you up, and put them on his shelf as a bit of a trophy. Look at this person how virtuous and righteous and good they have become. Isn't that wonderful? God's plan and purpose is not to have a bunch of shiny people, at least not entirely. God's plans and purpose, to renew and restore all things in Christ Jesus. That's what he's on about. Along the way, there will become some shiny, holy, virtuous, righteous, good people, but that's not his final outcome. And it's really important that we recognize just how significant the purpose of God is. So if you have a look in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul lays out more, uh, kind of more specifically what the purpose is that God has for the church. And it's remarkable. So if you have a look in chapter 3 of Ephesians and have a look in verse, starting in verse 8. Paul is speaking about his own ministry, and he's been speaking previously about just how amazing it is that God has decided not just to save the Jewish people, but also to save Gentiles. In other words, to save everyone, because there were only two groups of people from a Jewish perspective. There were Jews like us, and there was everybody else who were the Gentiles, and God is now going to save everybody. But listen to how Paul describes the purpose of God. He says in verse 8 of chapter 3, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? God's intent was that now, through the church, 
through people like you and me, people who have placed our faith in Jesus, who have been given the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal, as a deposit of things to come, that through us, we would be an expression of the manifold, multifaceted wisdom of God in saving people like you and me, in restoring the world to its original and greater glory, and that that manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The church is to be a cosmic declaration, a cosmic declaration, a living, breathing example of just how amazing God is in saving all of us. That's the role of the church. That's a lot bigger than, I'm a lot nicer than I used to be, isn't it? It's a lot bigger than saying, oh, like I, I have an experience of the Holy Spirit or I realize Jesus is my savior. Those things are important. But ultimately what we have been swept up in is not that I've been saved for an eternity with God and I've been given the Holy Spirit to assure me of that. No, we've been swept up in something much, much bigger. And so if we individualize it and forget that there is this wider context, I think we diminish that work. And I think that's seen in particular when we turn to something like spiritual gifts. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, and the reason I want to do that is in part because it's found in Ephesians 4, which we're going to be turning to in a moment, uh, but also because when we uh, sent out the discipleship survey earlier this year and asked if there were questions that you had about the Holy Spirit, there were a whole bunch of questions about how do we recognize the voice of the Spirit. And then there were a smaller set of questions about things like spiritual gifts. And if you've been in other churches and you've been around here for a while, you might wonder why we don't use spiritual gift assessments or surveys. And we don't do them because I don't like them, is basically the answer. And I don't like them because I think they ask the wrong question. The question that spiritual gift assessments ask is, what is my spiritual gift? Which is an individualistic question that actually goes beyond what spiritual, or reduces what spiritual gifts are actually about. I mean, just have a look in Ephesians chapter four. We could have looked quite fruitfully at 1 Corinthians 12, sorry, 1 Corinthians 11 and Romans 12, or 1 Peter 4, which are the other places in the New Testament where gift lists are found, teaching and uh, preaching and mercy and hospitality and giving and service and all of those sorts of things. But I want to kind of stay in Ephesians. But have a look in chapter 4, starting in verse 11 where it says that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers for this reason, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So why has Jesus, through the Spirit, sent particular gifts and officials and people to the church? It hasn't been so that people kind of feel good about themselves. It's so that the church might be built up. And not just built up so the church feels good about itself, but that the church might be built up to do the work that Jesus has given to them to do. We want to attain, Paul says, the full measure, sorry, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We want to be like Jesus. When scripture talks about the church being the body of Christ, it really means it. That we are to be the body of Christ, doing the work of Christ on the earth. 
that we are to be engaged in the things that Jesus was doing while he was on earth and that he is still committed to doing because he is still doing the will of his Father. That's why the gifts have been given to us. Not so that I can have one and you can have one, but so that the church can be built up. And this is really important. It has some really significant implications for us. I think, first of all, what it reminds us of is that, well, kind of what we know about spiritual gifts. That it's less about what my gift is and more about what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say for the moment that I do have the gift of teaching. Who receives the gift of teaching if I have the gift of teaching? It's not me, is it? It's the people who are taught, right? If no one learns anything, you'd have to wonder if I have the gift of teaching, right? Likewise, hospitality. Who receives the gift of hospitality? Well, not me. The people that I open my home to or that I welcome or that I find space for in my life. The gifts are actually not mine in the first place. You can do the same things with the gifts of mercy or gifts of generosity. It's about the people who receive those gifts. I am, you are, at best, a conduit. How does the Holy Spirit want to use me to build up the church so that the church can do the work of God? Which also means that I don't have to ask what's my spiritual gift because ultimately it's up to the Spirit and how he's going to use me. And if we are going to be like the, in, in the fullness of Christ, how many spiritual gifts did Jesus have? I'm guessing all of them. Right? I don't think there's any part of the Gospels where he filled in a spiritual gifts assessment to find out, but I'm pretty sure he had all of them. Why? Because he was the spirit-filled man who was always only focused on doing the will of God. And so he was equipped for the work of God in every and any situation. If we are to be like Jesus, how are we any different? It also means, it also means that when we begin to consider where a spiritual gift is, is being found, we need to look for outcomes, not experiences. This is one of the things I don't like about the spiritual gift assessments. They ask about your experience. What are the things that you have done in the past? And therefore, that leads you to your spiritual gift. Since when does my experience have anything to do with what the Spirit is doing? If there is a gift of teaching here tonight... If the Holy Spirit is going to use me in the gift of teaching, the outcome is not going to be that I taught. It's going to be that someone here, all of you here, have a deeper understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit and your place in the ministry and mission of God. And if that happens, that is not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit at work in you. Conduit takes all the pressure off. The Holy Spirit gives a gift to you through me. Beautiful. Which also then I think shapes, again, how we refer or how we uh, kind of are in more intentional in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So you know that over the first couple of weeks, one of the things that I've been encouraging you to do is to be a little bit more intentional in how you pray to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is always in the midst of what God is doing, right? If when, when God is grounding his work, when it's happening on earth, if there's, some, if there's a place where the Spirit's going to be, it's there. Well, when you're engaged in the work of God, you should be asking the Holy Spirit to be at work. 
Now, as I said a couple of weeks ago, you, know, you can't really get it wrong, right? You pray to the Father, you pray to the Son, you pray to the Holy Spirit, like they're all in on it, right? But to be just a little bit more intentional, you know, before you're doing youth, before you're serving in kids' ministry, before you're being involved in leading worship, or whatever it, be, it might be that you do, to just pause for a moment and in an intentional moment say, Holy Spirit, I know that you are about revealing Jesus to people. Reveal Jesus to the people I'm talking to tonight. Totally appropriate. Well, here we have a few other places where we could be intentional about our language. Imagine how different our life groups or our ministries or our church services would be if before we came into the service, before we entered into the living room, that we stopped for a moment and prayed, Holy Spirit, how do you want to use me today to build up those around me? I just want to be a willing, cooperative participant. I think it would change things a lot. I think it would change things a lot. I think it would also be appropriate for us to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show us the sorts of places and the ways in which um, the Holy Spirit's work is evident, right? Where we can begin to see that, you know what, a gift has been given to the community, a gift has been given to the church, possibly through me and possibly through someone else, because there are the indicators that the Spirit has been at work, whether that be life or truth whether that be about a participation in what God is doing, there are opportunities for us to be just a little bit more intentional in the way in which we address the Holy Spirit. And again, what I hope that will do for us is ultimately not only develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit, but also make us just a little bit more aware of where the Spirit may actually be at work in our lives and the lives of the community of faith around us. This is where the Holy Spirit is going to be found, in the work of God. In our lives, in the lives of those that we minister with and to, in the life of our community of faith. And this sermon series, if I can just remind you, is just the beginning. I don't believe that this is the end all and be all, that in these next four weeks we will have sorted everything out about the Holy Spirit. But as a starting point, I am pretty encouraged by it. An opportunity for us to deepen our understanding, to deepen our intentionality and relationship in order that we might be just a little bit more prepared to hear the voice of the Spirit, to take up the invitation of God the Father to participate in what he's doing, restoring everything in Christ Jesus. And that's also why we don't do spiritual gift assessments. So if you really like surveys, I can do other surveys for you, but not that one. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, the, the, the team up, the duo uh, up. Um, Lex was greeted by his daughter telling him that he's doing great singing um, afterwards, which I would agree with, but um, it's very cute. Um, and uh, they're going to lead us in a closing song of worship. Uh, but before they do, would you allow me to lead us in prayer? Uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that uh, you are at work where God is at work. And that you have been sent to reveal, to inspire, to empower and enable us in the ongoing work of Jesus to complete the will of the Father. That we, the church, might be a cosmic declaration. That we might be a living, breathing example of what it looks like to live in relationship with you and a bit of a glimpse into the future. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be continually at work in our lives. 
And then as we seek to be just a little bit more intentional in our relationship with you, uh, that we might become a little bit more accustomed to your voice, a little bit more accustomed to how you are at work in our lives and in the life of our community of faith, and that we might continue to see your hand at work as we seek to do the will of our Father. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.